0: Our text for this morning is the Gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago. It's on the back of your bulletin, so let me encourage you to be looking at that as we work our way through this message. Those of you who are at home, if you have a Bible close by, why don't you grab it and open to John chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, because those are the verses we're going to be considering in the next few moments. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know the words of our gospel lesson are such a beautiful text and it's one of those texts that as you approach it You sense that you should take off your shoes and that you should just walk toward it on tiptoe And and be very quiet and and walk in hushed silence Because what we see in our text is Jesus praying. We see our Savior praying talking to his father and his words are solemn and, and his voice is subdued and and his words, in fact, are freighted with passion and concern. Martin Luther, writing about these words, said, It is indeed above measure a fervent, heartfelt prayer, in which he revealed and poured out the depth of his heart, both toward us and toward his Father. But the power, the character, the virtue this prayer has in itself, I cannot set down sufficiently, I fear, for however plainly and simply it is expressed. It is so deep, so wide, so rich, that no one can sound its depths. That's Martin Luther writing about our text. And Melanchthon, his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, wrote this. There is no voice ever heard, either in heaven or on earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime Then this prayer offered by the Son of God himself. And so our Savior prays. And we have the privilege of listening to him pray. And I hope that we can get a hold of what a beautiful, beautiful privilege and wonderful privilege that is, you see. So that this morning, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to stand in the doorway of the upper room. And we're going to listen to our Savior pray. And that's why I urge you to, to give very close attention to, to what I'm going to be saying, that you listen carefully and you live with, listen with great, with great carefulness. And I pray that too, as we listen to our Lord pray, that our own hearts are going to be warmed and, and our faith is going to be strengthened and our will is going to be shaped and our spirits are going to be refreshed. Listen to the words again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. As I said just a few moments ago, the scene is Monday, Thursday in the upper room. It's been quite an evening. Jesus has started the evening by washing the disciples' feet, giving them an example of humble service, showing them what it means to love and serve one another. During that evening, he of course has instituted the Lord's Supper, he has taken bread and wine and he has said, this is my body and this is my blood, and he has given them a feast of forgiveness and also a feast of remembering. During the evening also, he's talked about so many, many things. The next day, he knows what's going to happen. And so he's giving to them so much here, right at the very end. And so that evening in the upper room, he talks to them about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit's going to come and how the Holy Spirit is going to be a paraclete and the Holy Spirit's going to walk alongside of them and going to be calling out to them all during their lives and ministry. He's also given them a new commandment. And he has said to them, I want you to love one another as I have loved you they have heard throughout their lives that they are to love one another as they, are, as they love themselves. But Jesus just lifts that even higher and he says, No, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then he talks to them about heaven. And he tells them that he's going there to prepare a place for them. So that eventually he's going to get, come and get them and take them to that place in heaven, that room that he has prepared for them. And he talks to them also about the mission that's going to be theirs. He's going to be sending them out into the world, of course, to carry on the work that he has begun. But he also tells them that it's going to be tough. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. But he says, don't be afraid, because I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to see you through. And I will overcome the world, and I will give you victory in spite of whatever happens. And so he says so much that night to them talks and talks and blesses them and bless them with all of these things. And then our text finally says this. Then after he had said all of these things, taught them so much, shared so much with them, now comes our text. And he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he prays. Now, this comes right before they leave for Gethsemane. This is when this happens. Everything now is complete and now they're ready to leave for Gethsemane. But before they do, he prays this prayer. And it has been kind, it has come to be known as the high priestly prayer because just as the high priests in the Old Testament prayed for their people, so Jesus here prays for his people. And he begins by saying, Father. That's very significant. That He begins the prayer by simply speaking to God as his Father. No flowery language at this point. He doesn't address him as the supreme being of the universe. He doesn't address him as the great creator of all things. He doesn't address him as that first cause. He doesn't address him as the one who has brought into existence all that is. But he simply Calls him Father. And that sets the atmosphere for the rest of the prayer. Now, in the prayer, he says that he has tried to manifest God's name in his ministry. And if there's any one name that he really manifested in his ministry, it was the name Father. And you see that right at the very beginning, because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, he refers to God as his Father. That's how he began his ministry. That's very, very significant. And then also, he told parables in which he portrayed God as Father. And of course, the most famous one would be probably the parable of the prodigal son. And in that parable, of course, we see the Father is so patient and forgiving and and what a receiving Father he is. And we see... You see that all through his ministry he taught his disciples that when they pray they were to address god as our father our father through his ministry he he brings this out so often that the heart of god is a is the heart of the father and that his heart is full of grace and goodness and love and and forgiving mercy luther putting all of these things together taught us a lesson in the explanation of the words for he said you know Remember that God is your Father. And when you approach Him, you can do so with boldness and confidence. You can come as children do their, to their Father. You don't have to worry about grammar. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, vocabulary or any of these things. You can simply realize and remember you're talking to your Father and that's how you approach Him always with boldness and confidence. No fear, but with great love. Well. What a lesson there is in these words that Jesus um, sets before us in this way. What an example, what an assurance, you see. That God is our Father and that as sympathetic and understanding and kindly and slow to anger and eager to help and guide and give and do for Jesus, his Son, so also is true for us too. So the one man has said this, you know, we are to come to him with greatness and and with absolute sincerity and honesty and then listen to this as one man is written tell him all that is in your heart as one unloads one heart to a dear friend tell him your troubles that he may comfort you tell him your joy that he may sober them tell him your longings that he may purify tell him your mislikings that he may help you to conquer them talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them show him all the wounds of your heart that he may heal them lay bare to him your indifference to good your depraved taste for evil your instability if you thus pour out to him all your weakness needs troubles there will be no lack of what to say you will never exhaust this subject it is continually being renewed People who have no secrets from each other never want subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words because there is nothing to be kept back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk together out of the abundance of their heart without consideration just what they think. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved intercourse with God. As we listen to Jesus pray, my, my, we are inspired to pray as he did, and we find a tremendous lesson in his praying. But in this connection also, then we have to realize this, that later in the prayer, he speaks of the Father as a holy father. At the end of the prayer, he calls God his holy father. And that's something we need to know, too, because I think that's almost something that we forget today that uh, as loving as He is, as loving as He is, He is still our Holy Father. He's not an indulgent Father. He's our Father who loves us with a love bigger than we can imagine, but He is not an indulgent Father. He's not too soft to be firm with us. He's not too weak to correct us. That while we can come to Him with with uh, unposed naturalness we just don't come to him uh, in nonchalant flippant way that even though he's our father and we love him and he loves us still always come into his presence with, with reverence we don't come like someone shoving a door open with his shoulder we don't just barge into his presence we come always with great respect and great reverence He is our Father, but we respect him all so much. And somehow we have to keep that balance always between the fact that he is holy, that holiness is like blazing light, and he's also gracious, my Father, who loves me, like I said, more than I can imagine. So Jesus begins the prayer with Father. And then the next words are, the hour has come. The hour has come. And what a statement that is. Several times during his ministry he has said, it is not, the hour has not come yet. But now finally here he says, the hour has come. And the question is, what is that hour? Well, that hour is the hour of the cross. That hour is the hour when the Lamb of God will be sacrificed. That hour is the hour when the ransom price is finally going to be paid. That hour is the hour when the good shepherd is going to give his life for the sheep. But all during his ministry, Jesus has, tra- has taught and preached about God as his father, as our father. He has spoken about God's judgment. He has called people to tempt, to, uh, to repentance. He has spoken about the kingdom of God. He has preached and he has taught in so many ways. And And also he has lived a perfect and holy life. That part of of the plan of salvation is now complete. He has lived a perfect and holy life for us. But now that hour has come in which sin must be paid for and death must be dealt with and the very Son of God who has lived this holy and perfect life must stand in the circle of our judgment and die under that terrible judgment against our sin and the sin of the whole world, not only ours. And so that time has come when we think about all those words connected with sin, all that must be paid for, our trespasses, our transgressions, our iniquities, all of those things, the hour has come, that must be taken care of. So Jesus says, Father... The hour has come. I realize that. So what do you pray when you recognize that your last hour has come? Listen to what he prays. Glorify thy son that the son may glorify thee. That's tremendous. That's this dreadful hour approaches, as this horrible hour approaches, Jesus prays that he may glorify the Father's name. And just think of that. As the dark clouds of, uh, are gathering around and threatening, he prays, Father, in the midst of all that's going to happen, may I glorify your name. And as the hordes of hell are beginning to march in on him, he prays, Father, may I glorify your name. And as the cross gets larger and larger and more foreboding and more threatening, what he prays is, Father, May I glorify your name. And then you follow that and you look at what happens in those hours that follow and you see that his prayer was answered. You see that from the very beginning to his very last breath on the cross, he indeed was glorifying his Father's name. That first of all, he glorified his Father's name by willingly submitting to what was. That he didn't try to run away from what was. When the soldiers came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have just slayed them all there. He could have called on the angels to deliver them, him, but he did not. He surrendered to their arrest, and he went with them. And then all during the night, during the trials and so on and so forth, He's always in control of himself and he is so dignified and he is such an honorable man. He is glorifying his father, you see, because he doesn't curse back. He doesn't swear. He doesn't talk, a bit, just talk back about how unfair the trials are and all of those things. And then you see him the next morning before Pontius Pilate, and then you see him also um, scourged and you see him carrying his cross out to Calvary, you see all of those things, And in all of those things, he is bringing glory to his Father by how he is enduring through them. And then once he is nailed down to the cross, just think of that and how he brought glory to his Father's name because he displays the Father's forgiveness toward all in his own forgiveness toward those who are crucifying him. And he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's glorifying his Father's name. And then in his concern for his family, his mother, the same thing there. Even in though he is suffering terribly himself, he still takes care of his mother. John, take care of her now for the rest of her life. And uh, mother, this now is your son. And then finally, he is still working the mission. He is still reaching out to save souls right down to the very end. And that too is to the glory of his father. Because he says to the thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So he prays, Father, may I glorify your name, and you see all through what's happening then. And so there's no doubt about that you see. As dreadful as the cross was, Jesus brought glory to his Father's name. Because it is at the cross now, it is at the cross that we see the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love. And it is at the cross that we see the heart of God reaching out, you see, to, to to touch the lives of people we see at the cross how God's great heart is yearning for the salvation of his people. Why you see all of that at the cross, you see that the cross, the earnest and seriousness of the Lord, of the Father in taking care of our salvation. You know, you can look at the world, you can look out there and you can see the stars and the sun and, 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 and you can wonder at all of it and you see the majesty and the power of God as you look out around. And you can look at our own world here and how, how it is designed and how it all fits together and how intricately it works and, and you can see the wisdom of God and you can, you can look at history, and, and through the centuries of history, uh, you can see the eternity of God. But the one place where you see the height, the depth, and the length of the love of God is at the cross. And that's because of what Jesus does there at the cross. And so, indeed, he brings glory to his Father's name. In doing so, though, he also brings glory to himself, doesn't he? And he prays that that may be so, that finally at the cross we may see his glory. That at the cross we may see really what he is all about. And when you stop and think about that, that is so true that it is at the cross finally more than any other place that we see what Jesus himself is all about as we look at that sacred head like the hymn says now bleeding and wounded we see the glory of our Lord Christ don't we and as we see him hanging there in the eerie darkness dying bleeding to death dying, suffocating for our sin. We see his glory, don't we? And as we hear him shout out from the depths of hell, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see his glory in all of these things. And then finally, as we hear this childlike prayer that his mother had taught him as a little boy, to pray before he went to bed as we hear him pray that prayer Father into thy hands I commend my spirit we see his glory so you put all of these things together you put together his willing obedience you put together his humble service you put together his ready forgiveness you put together with that his limitless love and you see the height and the depth and the breadth of our Lord's love our Lord Jesus' love For us and you see his glory I think in just brilliant radiance. Why, what a picture. Well, as we look at all of this, as Jesus faced that dreadful hour, he prayed that he might bring glory to his Father's name. As we look at that, then the thought comes to our minds What will we pray for in our final hours? Think about that. What will you pray for in your final hours? As you realize your final hours are at hand, what are you going to pray for? Will we pray just for release? Will we pray for... Healing? Will we pray for rescue? Will we pray for deliverance? Will we get so caught up in ourselves that we forget our Father? Or will we pray too that we may be witnesses to our Father right down? to the end. Because you see, that's what Jesus is praying here. He's praying, Lord Father, I want to be a witness for you right down to my end. To my dying breath. I want to be a witness for you. I've seen lots and lots of people through the years in their dying hours. And I must say, I've seen some very, if you can use that word, beautiful deaths. I've seen some of our people who have been bringing witness to their Heavenly Father when they're dying. Sad to say, I've seen some anger. I've also seen some dismay, I don't know what you call it, some fear. But I've also seen a great looking forward. I've also seen great love. I've seen great thankfulness and humility. So I've seen many times God's people, our own people here, bringing glory to the Father's name. So it's something that you and I must think about too, isn't it? That as our last hours come, what are we going to pray? That we'll pray that we may be witnesses to our Father as Jesus was. Because when we are witnesses to our Father, we not only, and I've seen this, we not only bring glory to his name, but we also bring strength to the ones around us who are there to be with us in our dying. In other words, to the family. But the witness we give at the end also touches the lives of our family, our children, brothers and sisters, whoever's there. And I've seen this too through the years. And so we pray, just like Jesus did, to bring glory to the Father's name, knowing that that's also going to touch the hearts and lives of others today. Well, Jesus here at the very end also prays for the safety and unity of his disciples. He's sending them out into the world to do a great, great work. And he knows they're going to be attacked by the devil and the others are going to be attacked by their own sinful flesh. He knows that temptation is going to be there to draw them away from the Father and away from their mission, knows all those things. And so he prays for the safety of his disciples. And he knows also that there's one thing that will really just destroy his work and the work that the disciples are going to do and that is disunity and he knows that if if they begin to struggle among themselves if they begin to fight about things that are not consequential or that are inconsequential if they begin to to disagree and, and, and separate from each other how that's going to hurt the mission how that's going to hurt the mission and so he prays that they may be unified always, that they may, be, they may overcome te- temptations of the devil, the world, their sinful flesh, but also that they may be unified in love for him and in love for one another and in love for the mission that he has given them. And that's something that we need to hear too as, as fellow believers, something that we need to learn and know here at Trinity as Christians gathered for mission. But the one thing that can really destroy us is disunity. The one thing that can destroy us is when we begin to go our own directions away from our Lord Christ and away from each other. And so when we look at this great prayer, we will certainly hear Jesus praying for his disciples that night and for the church at that moment. We also hear him praying for us and everything that would be ours today. So what a prayer it is. What a prayer it is. And just think now that we today have stood at the open door of the upper room and we have heard Jesus pray. And after hearing him, must we not simply say, what a man he was and what a savior he is. Amen. And now the peace. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.